Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good morning, everyone. Um, it's, it's such a blessing uh, being able to bring and share the word with you this morning. Um, this morning, we are continuing on with, with this theme of Come Back Stronger. Thank you to Keith and Sharon for, for their personal story that they've just shared uh, with you uh, on the video. Um, and this morning, we will want to continue on just as a church just to press into this. Over the, the month of July, obviously, we've been exploring this uh, in four different ways. We've been trying to look at what should be the posture of our heart. As we, as we come to the Lord in this way, and particularly we've looked at these four words, listen, pray, wisdom, and serve. Last week, Al began to reintroduce these again, but now we want to explore them through a, a biblical context in terms of a character, and um, specifically Nehemiah. And we want to just look at Nehemiah's life today. We're going to be continuing with this as well, just around exploring how, how Nehemiah really encountered God and pressed into God in each of these ways not just for himself personally, um, but how he engaged in, in, in attempting and uh, wanting to be a person that would rewrite the story of the city. We recognize that this is part of the call that God has placed upon us as the church uh, here in Lurgan and Portadown and Carrot and Shalom, that we want to be a people that are committed to help rewrite the story of, of this city. And, and so today what I want to do is I want to pick up with this character of Nehemiah once more. And today I'm going to look specifically at that word listen. We want to reflect today just how Nehemiah lived into this in his life, how Nehemiah listened to the call of God for his unique purpose in, in this moment. And today, just in, in three simple ways, just three simple points I want to leave with you. We're going to be mainly trying to explore Nehemiah chapter 1 and chapter 2. And so if you want to have your Bibles open at home, it would be great for you to be able to do that. And you can scribble and underline some of the text that we're going to be looking at. The first point, before we get into the first chapter of this, the first point that I really feel that the Spirit wants to impress and to leave with us today is really based on the context. Al, last week, did a great job unpacking and exploring much of the context of, of the book of Nehemiah, and, and I'm not going to go into all the detail of that. Go back and listen to last week's sermon if you want to hear that again, but just to keep things just very basic and very simple, the reality is for the children of Israel at this time, they are in exile. Al, referenced the fact that the, the, the nation of Israel obviously had split into two different regions. You had a northern region and you had a southern region. And the southern tribe, um, the, the two tribes in the southern region of Judah, this is where we're reflecting about how they have been carried off into exile by, by the nation of, of Babylon. But what had happened was at that time, there was still a remnant that was left in Jerusalem, a remnant that had um, escaped exile and had remained behind in Jerusalem at this point. The Babylonian Empire then had been taken over by the Persian Empire, and the people who were in exile um, and in captivity to the Babylonian Empire had subsequently been taken captive by the Persians at that point. But the whole, the whole thing that's rooted in this and the context which I want to really frame and to look at today was the prophecy that was given by, by Jeremiah, Jeremiah 28 or 29, verse 10. He says this, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, 
I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. God's promise was that while his people were being carried away and taken into exile, God's promise was that they would return, that they would come back. And this is the context for the books of Nehemiah. Uh, and for Ezra as well. Actually, many theologians and scholars would reckon that the book of Ezra and Nehemiah was probably originally written as one uh, piece of work by the one author that subsequently in later years were separated into two separate books, but they both give accounts about the return of the children of Israel to Jerusalem, which happened in three different phases. Three different leaders which were significant for those three different phases. First one that we read in the book of Ezra was a guy called Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, as he led the first return to Jerusalem, he led a large group of people back to the city with a specific focus to rebuild the temple. The second leader was a guy called Ezra. And obviously the book is named after. And as he led the people back, the specific focus was that he wanted to teach the Torah and to rebuild the community. His, was, his desire was that as he led the people, he would lead them in a spiritual and social reformation. And then thirdly comes this character of Nehemiah. And as he returns and uh, leads other people to return, there's specific focus about rebuilding of Jerusalem's walls. The thing that caught me this week, and this is why I really wanted to land on this before we go in to read Nehemiah chapter one. With, with these three men, these three leaders, Zerubbabel, Ezra, and Nehemiah, one of the things as I read about them during the week, the thing that really stood out to me and I felt the spirit start to point and put his finger upon was these three men were born in exile. They hadn't been carried away with other people. They hadn't been taken captive, but these three men were actually born during the period of exile. While there were other leaders that were taken captive and probably were present during that time that I'm sure were crying out to the Lord themselves and desiring to be used in other ways, the thing that was really crucial was that something new had been born in this period of exile that would now lead them out of exile once again. And the first point that I felt the Spirit really speak to me and I feel crucially for us is this. Something has been born or is being born in exile that is crucial for return. When we think about this theme of coming back stronger and we almost reflect on, on ourselves during this period that we've been in that feels a bit difficult, feels like a bit of an exile and we seek a return, the thing that I feel the Spirit's speaking through this is that something has been born or is being born in this period of exile that is crucial for our return. God has done this time and time again as we reflect on, on church history. So for example, I, I recorded a, a talk for a mission convention um, last week. And in that, I was reflecting on actually the story of the Chinese church. What had happened was during the Cultural Revolution in the 1960s, all religion was just violently purged in China. And so the Chinese church just faced intense persecution. Uh, open Doors, who, who worked with the persecuted church, uh, they reflected on, on a quote that was given by a member of the Chinese church, and they said this, which was really, really, um, it, it spoke uh, to, to what was happening at this time. They said, before the early 1960s, we practiced Christianity in churches and hardly anywhere else. After we were scattered, we practiced in our homes and therefore everywhere else. Let me read that again. Before the early 1960s, we practiced Christianity in churches and hardly anywhere else. Might sound familiar. After we were scattered, 
we practiced in our homes and therefore everywhere else. As they were scattered, there was something that was reawakened within their hearts and within their lives, within their identity as the church of Jesus Christ, about what it means to be the church of Jesus Christ, rather than them simply just practicing it in a religious way in a building. There was something that was birthed in this period of exile that led them to times of renewal and revival. And actually what happened was by the time we get to 1982, there was over three million believers in China. Something had been birthed in exile. I referenced this a little bit in the email that I sent out to, to Lurgan Church this week. Phil is away on a well-deserved holiday this week in Newcastle with Lorraine and Daniel. And so I sent the email on his behalf. And I was reflecting on a couple of weddings that I had done recently in church for, for Lee and Susie and for Ryan and for Lauren. Ryan and Lauren were just married on Wednesday past. On Wednesday, when I was um, putting on my suit, getting ready for the wedding, as you do, as I was putting on my shirt, which in prior occasions had been really comfortable on me. One of the things which I realized that as I've now got, what is it, in the few months that we've been in lockdown, as I put the shirt on, the button on my shirt was just a little bit tight that I just could not get it to meet again. I think I said in the email, I think I blamed it on the tumble dryer or something like that rather than the, the many bags of crisps or different things like that which I had eaten. But the reality was, as I was putting it on, I felt for Ryan and Lauren that day and I feel even for us, as I, as I stood at the front of the church with them, and I was saying, you know, as you step into this new moment that you're about to engage in in your married lives, the reality is much of what you have brought you to this point no longer fits in this new moment. When a family has a baby and something is born, Andrew, who's, who's taken the video, he's, he's about to go through this. When, when a family has a baby and something is born, suddenly old rhythms and old patterns no longer fit. For the children of Israel, God was doing something new. And while ultimately these three leaders uh, tried to lead the children of Israel forward into it, through what had been birthed in exile, we realized this, in these three men, God was doing something new that would be another step towards preparing the way for Messiah Jesus to come. And the question, before we, we go on to the next part of this and we start to read Nehemiah chapter one, the question I just simply wanna ask you is this. What has God birthed in your life or in your family during this time? During this time of what has felt difficult, a difficult moment, what are some of the things that you've recognized that God has been birthing and the new things that God has been bringing you during these number of months? Maybe if you aren't sure about that, maybe a better question or a good question for you to ask is, God, what, what do you want to birth in my life at this time? What do you want to birth in my family's life through this? What is the new you're leading me in? And then when we discern that, when we discern what are the new things and the new things that are being birthed at this moment, the reality is for all of us that there is a choice for us to walk into these new things. I shared this with Ryan Lauren again at their wedding. This is why we, we share and we give wedding rings because daily, this reminds us we have a choice. This is no longer about the old ways, but in this new moment, some of the old things no longer fit. There's a new way for us. When we think about the city of Craigavon, what are the new things that God is desiring to birth, not just in the city in general, so it's great that we're seeing the construction of a new swimming pool, which I'm sure will be great, but significantly for us as a church, what are the new dreams 
what is the new imagination that he desires to birth and release amongst us as the church for the city? Because here's the reality for us again. Some of the old ways that we've done things in the cities and some of the things that we've done to date no longer fit in this new moment because in this period of exile, God has been birthing and doing something new. And the question is, do we discern him? As we go to read Nehemiah chapter one, let, let's open this up together. You'll see the words on your screens as well. But this is where it begins. It says this, Now it happened in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah. And I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem. So he's asking the question about those who didn't get carried away into exile. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days. And I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant um, that, um, and your servants confessing the sins of your people Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Nehemiah, he hears the complaints of the remnant, the people who have been left behind. He hears about the distress that they, they have because the walls of the city have been destroyed. And for Nehemiah, there's a brokenness in his heart that we read about. He weeps, he fasts, he is, his heart is broken in this way. And the reality is for Nehemiah, the, the broken walls, they, they don't just symbolize a defeated city. It meant firstly, very practically for the remnant that were there still in Jerusalem, the walls, the purpose of the walls of the city were meant to defend the people that were within. So when the walls were broken, it meant that they were vulnerable and they were exposed to further attacks by the enemy. But that in itself, while that was bad, that wasn't the bit that was the bit that was getting at Nehemiah. That wasn't the bit that led to the ultimate brokenness in his heart. These broken walls spoke of an even greater symbol. It symbolized the spiritual disgrace of Judah. The broken walls spoke of the sins that had led the people to exile in the first place. As I said before, Nehemiah with the other two leaders as well, he was born in exile. He wasn't one of the ones that had been carried off at the time. And so the easy thing for Nehemiah to do, I don't know if you've ever experienced this yourself before, but sometimes when someone confronts you with something or someone challenges you in something, one of the things that's really easy to do is for, to get your back up and to get defensive and to try and be dismissive. The easy thing for Nehemiah to say at that point, this point is, well, it wasn't my sins that led us to here. It was, those, it was the other guys. It was the, the other generation. It wasn't anything to do with me. He could have been dismissive about it all, but he wasn't. He doesn't do that. He listens. Nehemiah listens. And as he listens... He can feel the brokenness and he can sense the brokenness of the heart of God in this moment. These walls were symbolic of a people who had turned away from him. And Nehemiah, what he does, which is really crucial at this moment, he owns his own sins. Not the sins that led them in Dexter, but even at this moment, he's owning his own sins and bearing his sins before God. But he also owns the sin of his people and begins to repent on their behalf. 
Second thing I just simply want to say as a point today is this. Repentance is the beginning place of restoration. Repentance is the beginning place of restoration. I could take that further and say repentance is the beginning place of returning. For us to come back stronger, we need to listen. We need to be a people who listen for the Lord's correction. To do this, we, we firstly need to be a people that the posture of our hearts is open for that. Again, not in a defensive way with our, our bodies closed, but in an open way where we desire to hear what God is leading us. And allow the Spirit to shine the light of correction upon those areas of our lives that are marked by sin. Our hearts, we need to be reflective, almost like King David. I love these words in Psalm 139. You know these well-known words where he prays this earnest prayer. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, in his love, wants to correct us in those areas. He doesn't want to condemn us. He doesn't want to beat us up for those things, but he wants as we repent, not in repent just to say sorry, but in a change of heart, God, we desire to live differently. God desires to enrich our lives. And here's one of the things that the story of Nehemiah tells me as well. Unrepented sin is almost reflective of like those broken walls in our lives. Unrepented sin is the same way the broken walls, what it symbolized for the people. It means that it's a vulnerable place for us. There's an exposure to more and more attack of the enemy in our lives. Unrepented sin leads us in that way. And so for us individually, there needs to be a place of beginning, almost like Nehemiah was, of owning our own sins before the Lord. That's why Chris led us in communion. That's why this posture of our heart, it isn't just for these moments when we practice it in church, but that the posture of our hearts day and daily is as a search me, O God, Holy Spirit, would you lead me in your ways? We do it individually. And as the church in this nation, as the church in this city, we like Nehemiah, we cannot sidestep the sins that have gone before us the sins of our fathers and our forefathers and other generations. And we cannot say, it's got nothing to do with me. We need to be a people that are repentant and are seeking God for his forgiveness, even for our land. If we seek to see the story of the city rewritten, rewritten, then like Nehemiah, we must repent of the sins that have gone before us in this city and in this nation. To do that, like some of those sins are very obvious. Individually and corporately, we need to be repenting on behalf of our nation for the sins of sectarianism, murder, abuse, to name a few. But you know what? There's some other sins that are unknown. There's some other sins that have gone under the radar. And this is why, as the people of God, we need to listen. We need to ask God through his spirit to reveal those things that even have never been known, to bring into the light those sins from the darkness so that we can repent. And as the people of God in this time that we would repent of them, repentance is the beginning place of restoration. The story continues, and at the end of chapter one, we just read this verse. Um, This is the prayer of Nehemiah. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name. And give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now, I was a cupbearer to the king. And then as we go into chapter two, it says this, in the month of Nisan in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. 
Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you're not sick? This is nothing but sadness of the heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah is starting to panic because his, his job description at this point as the cupbearer to the king to pour him his wine was that his job description was to make the king marry, to, ins- to ensure that the king was, was in, a good, in a good mood. But suddenly something around Nehemiah suddenly changes the atmosphere and the king starts to ask, what is wrong? Why are you so sad? And I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? Imagine this, Nehemiah, he's he's asked a question. He said, "What what are you requesting? What are you asking? And he says this, so I prayed to the God of heaven. He just doesn't launch straight in. He prayed, he wanted to listen again. I prayed to the God of heaven and I said to the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah and to the city of my father's graves that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me with the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given me to the governors of the province beyond the river that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber and make beams for the gates of the fortress of the temple and for the wall of the city and for the house that I shall occupy. And the king granted me what I asked for the good hand of God was upon me. Third point, really simply, and I know we've referenced this point many, many times in the history of the church, but I feel like that at this moment, more than ever, this is crucial for us to grasp. We need to listen, not just for God's revelation, but for God's timing. We need to listen, not just for God's revelation of what to do, but for God's timing. Nehemiah was broken. He feels like he needs to do something about it. It's not just about the prayers. He feels like he wants to embody those prayers. He wants to step into them and to start doing the work that needs done. But Nehemiah realizes one crucial thing. The wisdom isn't in the the revelation, but it's in the timing. The crucial thing, again, isn't just, God, what do I need to do? But it's, God, when? At the end of chapter one, Nehemiah just wants to get at it. So the prayer that he prays at the end of chapter one is, God, give success to your servant today. He longs for something imminent. He wants it right now. Many of us, perhaps you feel the same at the moment, where much of our current pain, the circumstances, the uncertainty, with, with everything with COVID-19 and we see things potentially starting to raise its head again. There's a part of us that just wants to get to the point where we're returned and we want it now. We just want it over with as soon as we can. But then in chapter two, while Nehemiah's prayers, God, today would you do this? In chapter two, we're introduced to the fact that he had to wait to the month of Nisan, which was the following spring. So there's like about another four or five months that Nehemiah has to wait. He's broken, he's desperate, he's longing for change. It's like his prayer is, God, it just can't stay like this, but yet he has to wait. And in the waiting, in the waiting, God opens up an opportunity. The king, who he obviously feared, suddenly asks, he gives permission to Nehemiah to speak. Nehemiah couldn't just wrap up to the king and just start talking about these things. The king asks Nehemiah to speak, and there's an opening not just for Nehemiah to, turn to, re- to, to return to Jerusalem, but for the kings, with the king's approval and with the king's resources. Suddenly, a moment opens up. 
I, this, this for me, it, it speaks of a verse which, which I love. Uh, I speak to people about so often. We've, uh, some of my friends, we chat about this verse. Isaiah 22, 22. This prophetic word that was spoken about Jesus. Listen to these words. I will give him the key to the house of David, the highest position in the royal court. When he opens doors, no one will be able to close them. When he closes doors, no one will be able to open them. I'm reminded of this most nights, like with my phone or the digital clock in the house. When it gets to 22, 22, I'm reminded of this verse, Isaiah 22, 22. With a couple of my friends, we, we send maybe like a thumbs up sometimes or we take a screenshot. We send this as a word of encouragement. This verse symbolizes so many things, but what it speaks to me about is the fact that God is in control. When he opens doors, no one's gonna shut them. When he shuts doors, no one's going to open them. God is in control. In a personal level, many of you are facing uncertain times with work, with health, your mind, with your marriage, perhaps with your finances. We face uncertain times, even as a church, we're still, God, when, when are we going to be back? When should we return we want it now, but God, when? As a city, again, there are certain things we've been praying for, a turnaround in that can sometimes feel like a frustration. We want the breakthrough and we want it now, but yet another really beautiful verse, Ecclesiastes 3.11, says, God makes all things beautiful in its time. Again, we need to be listening and asking God, not just for the revelation, but significantly the timing. When when we were praying a couple of weeks ago as leaders specifically for church, for you, for us all about when we should return, we spent much time just waiting in stillness before the Lord. And as we were waiting, one of the pictures that I got was actually of, an, of a film that I used to watch years ago. Many of you, I'm sure, have watched it. It's the film of Braveheart. And we're, we're going to watch just a clip of it now. It only lasts a minute and a half. But in this scene, um, you have William Wallace with his, with his troops here. And uh, they're facing the king of England, that it's uh, coming with his army all on horseback. They look like the real deal. And, and I just want you to watch, just and observe what happens in the scene. So let's watch your screens.
as, as you watch that clip, you can, you can see almost the look of panic <laughs> in the faces of, of William Wallace's men. Like the, the army are coming at them. The army are advancing and they're thinking to themselves, they should be doing something. The, the worst thing to do is just to stand here and wait as they get closer and closer and closer. And yet the command that is coming, you hear the voice shouting, William Wallace, hold, hold, hold. It's the hardest thing to hold when, when you don't want to do it. And you feel like, no, well, it should be now. Maybe some of you have felt that frustration and different things. Maybe even around church, we should be doing it right now. But you know what? When they got past all the hold, 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 suddenly there was a strategic moment when the word was now. <laughs> and at that moment you saw as they picked up the spear, thankfully we, we finished the video with that, but you didn't get to see any of the gore or anything like that. But the battle was won in the strategic moment. There was a word of now. For Nehemiah, as he waited patiently on the command of God, he heard just this hold, hold, hold. While he wanted every bit of him, wanted to do it today and to do it now, he heard God saying, hold, hold, hold. And suddenly as he stood before the king, suddenly there was a now moment, the strategic moment, and the battle was won, and there was a returning and an opening moment. For you personally in your life, for us as a church, for what God desires to do in the city, we need to pray for ears to hear we need to be discerning and being able to hear when God clearly is saying and for the wisdom to know when God is saying, hold, hold, hold. Why every bit of you wants to fight against it, this could be a moment when God is saying, hold, hold, hold. But you know, when you've heard that, don't just stop and say, well then, okay, I'm not gonna do anything about it. We still need to be a people that are sensitive and tuned into the spirit because there will come a moment when it'll no longer be a hold, but it'll be a now and more than ever, we need to be a people that are praying, God, give us ears to hear what you are saying at this moment. As, as we finish, I would just love to pray for us. I would love to pray that for us and to pray these things into being in our lives today. This simple word from the life of Nehemiah. I would love us just to own many of these and that we, we, that we would embody them for ourselves this week. So let's, let's pray together. God, this, this is our prayer, Father for ears to hear and eyes to see. Um, God, we, we pray for those things that have been born at this time. And God, even the things that you've been desiring to give birth to, God, in our lives, maybe we've got on the way of that. God, would you give us ears to hear what those things are and to be sensitive to it. And God, would you give us the faith when we're aware of those new things to step into it, to, to not hold on to the old things anymore, but to recognize those things don't fit anymore in this new moment. God, our heart is God, would you search our hearts? God, as a people, God, we want to listen, Holy Spirit, to your words to us today. God, we, this morning, we repent of those things, God, in those areas in our lives where we miss the mark of your best for us. And Father, we also want to repent of the sins that have been committed in our nation and in our city by those that have gone before us, by our fathers, by our forefathers. God, even those things, God, that... God, have even happened, God, down many of our family lines. I, I would love us actually just to pause for a moment in that. And I would love you just to allow the Spirit to speak. There could be other things, just even around the city or even stuff in your family that the Spirit just wants to reveal right now.
Father, we just want to acknowledge those things before you. God, we repent of those things. God, we repent, God, on behalf of our city and our nation for those things, God, that have been against your ways. God, our prayer today is heal our land. Inspire it today. Would you give us ears to hear what you're saying, God, for to be sensitive, God, to the times when it's hold, to be sensitive, God, to the times when it's now. And God, we don't just pray for straight paths. God, we pray, God, that we'd be a people that would stay in step with you and to keep in step with you. And God, our prayers we finish is be glorified in our lives. King Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this week. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.